you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Ephesians tonight, chapter 2. We're going to read the first ten verses. And I'll recap what we talked about last time I talked, which is a month ago. I'll recap that after after we read the first ten verses. And we may not uh, we may not make it all the way through the all ten verses of chapter 2, the first ten verses. May not even get close, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to get to get as far as we can anyway. That'll that'll be our goal. So, if you got your Bibles and you got it opened up to Ephesians chapter two, we'll start in verse one. We're gonna read through ten. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But the Almighty, who is abundant in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Yeshua, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ, Yeshua. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a, it's a gift of Yahweh, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ, for good works, which Yahweh prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. Now the last couple of times I taught, we covered verses 15 through 23 in the first chapter. We discussed what it means to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We discussed what the hope of Yahweh's calling was and what the glorious riches were of Yahweh's inheritance. We talked about how great Yahweh's power is and that he's able to perform all that he's promised. Yahweh's not a man that he should lie, right? If Yahweh promises, he's just and he's faithful to carry out all that he's promised, carry it to completion, whether it be mercy or whether it be justice. Yahweh's faithful. Paul talks about the hope of our calling and our inheritance. And he says that he prays that, that, the, that the eyes of our heart would be opened and that we would be enlightened to these things and what these things are. Now, I tried last time I was here to enlighten you guys along with Paul. and uh, But in case you weren't here or in case you fell asleep, I, I that could have been the case, but in case you fell asleep, the hope of our calling is what we place our faith in. That's that's what our calling is. We believe that Yahweh has set us apart, made us holy, and He's called us for eternal life. That's what our calling is: is to, is to be to be set apart, to be holy, and He's called us into eternal life. Paul prays that we understand the riches of that inheritance, and that inheritance that we have is eternal life to to share of to share eternity with our Lord, to dwell in the eternal kingdom forever. That's some inheritance, I believe, and because of this, Paul wants us to understand that Yahweh's immeasurable greatness and power. He wants us to see it. He wants us to understand it. The reason he wants us to have insight on this power is because it's what produces faith in us. If we understand how things work, our confidence gets built. We, we have more and more faith. We need to know how mighty he is because this is, this is what builds confidence in our walk. Let me give you an example. Let's say McCord's not in here, but I, but, I, but I thought of him when I was writing this sermon, so I'm going to use McCord. But uh, let's say McCord wants to build a house, okay? And um, he's looking for a builder to construct a home for his family, but he doesn't really know who to call. 
And, and let's just say that Dan says, hey, I've heard that TJ builds a house, and sometimes he even builds a good one, you know. And uh, so McCord contacts me, and, and uh, he asked me about building a house. But he doesn't really know me, and he's never really seen my work. And I think, I think at, at, a, at first glance, there should be some concerns. He should, <clears throat> he should be concerned of, you know, let me build his house. He don't, he don't know who I am, you know. He doesn't have anything to place his confidence in except for Dan. And, uh, well, you know, that's Dan. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, uh, so he's got Dan to place his confidence in, but he doesn't know anything about me. Let's just say McCord doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me. don't know whether or not I can build a house or not, you know. And, uh, however, if McCord comes to a house that I'm building and he watches me as I construct it, inspects the work and sees that it's done right, and then he may have some confidence in me and my ability to build a house now, this leads to McCord having confidence in me and me having a pocket full of money. You know, it works both ways. So, so um, I'm just being funny now. But really, it would assure him that um, when I say that I can build him a house, I can really build him a house. It's a confidence builder. He, he would look at my work and he'd say, hey, I've seen him build four of those houses right there. He did a good job. And since I know he, has a, he does a good job, let him to build a house for me. I've got confidence that he can build it, you know. That's what Paul's point in point is in verse 19 in the first chapter. Last week we talked, about, or last time I talked, we talked about this. But in verse 19, when he prays that we may understand Yahweh's power, he wants us to know that Yahweh has the power to give us, to give us, to make this happen, to make this manifest. He wants, to, he wants us to know that Yahweh has the power to give us the hope of our calling, which is our inheritance, which is eternal life. He wants, Paul wants you to know that, hey, he can make this happen. It's not just a promise. He can actually do it. Paul's trying so hard to get that, get us to see that, that he gives us the example of Yahweh raising Yeshua from the dead. Verse 20 says, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. That was his demonstration. As I would build a house and McCord would watch me build it and he would gain confidence in the fact that I could build a house, he'd seen me do it. Paul's saying, look, I'm telling you that he's going to raise you into eternity. He's going to take you to eternal life. Yahweh has the power to do it, and this is the example. He raised his son from the grave. He raised him from the grave. If he can raise Yeshua from the grave, then why can't he raise you? So he demonstrated this power, and he set his son at the right hand in the heavens. Now, folks, if McCord wants to have confidence in me to build a house, he needs to see me build that house, not perform foot surgery, right? He don't, foot surgery wouldn't give him confidence at all that I could, I could build a house. If the hope of our calling is eternal life and our inheritance among the saints is eternal life and Yahweh is the one who's to give it, don't you think the example given needs to fit the job that's to be performed? And uh, Yahweh's going to raise us from the dead. We need to see him raise somebody from the dead. That builds confidence. It's not that we can't believe him when he says that he can raise us from the dead, but when we see him do it, it, it gives us all the more confidence. Well, that's why Paul says he demonstrated the power that way, the power he will use to resurrect you, he used in his son when he raised him from the dead. I hope you see that. If it's like a glove, and I found that Jerry all by myself, all by myself, Jerry. Now notice where twenty-one in in verse twenty-one, where it says, "Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age but also in the one to come." That's what it says in Ephesians one and verse twenty-one. He has made him ruler of everything, every dominion, every title. And authority. Now that may not mean anything to you right this second, 
and it and it might not compute with you, but but it will in a minute because we're fixing to get into to chapter two and verses one and two. I want you to carry this mindset with you. I want you to I want you to take what what I've just told you about Yahweh raising Yeshua from the dead, the power that He has to do it, and I want you to carry that mindset into chapter two. When we start in chapter two, I'll read it in just a second. But I want you to have that mindset. You say, TJ, what mindset do you want me to have? I just told you. I want you to have that mindset that he can raise you from the dead. I want you to carry that into chapter 2. All right. Second, it's important that we that everybody's on the same page here. The second chapter, first, first verse starts out and it says this, and you. Really, that's what it says, and you. And I'm going to stop you right there, and I want to ask you, who's he talking to? Who is, who is Paul talking to when he says, and you? In, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to the believers or all the saints in Ephesus or Asia Minor, however you understand this, where the epistle's written to. That's who he's talking to. In other words, what he's fixing to say, he's talking to us. And he's fixing to lead us somewhere. So he's talking to you and me. Some people might say, you know, like I said, the Ephesians, and technically I guess that would be right, but... But let's just say that this is this is applied to us. So it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Now stop right there. We just figured out that Paul's talking about us, right? Paul's talking to us. You and me and everybody else that's a saint, he's talking to saints. We already established that. He says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We were lost, boys and girls, without hope, set apart for destruction. We were hopelessly depraved and destined for the lake that burns continuously. Paul says that you walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain. Brothers and sisters, that means that you were worldly. You weren't just in the world. You were of the world. You know, we were part of it. You looked like the world. You talked like the world. You walked like the world. You smelled like the world. You enjoyed the sin of the world, all of it that it had to offer. You loved it. You loved it. He's talking to us. He's talking to us and you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You drank sin down like water. There was no remorse. You thrived on it. And you did all this according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Do you, do you catch what that means? You were following the devil, is what he's saying. You followed Satan, is what you did. That's exactly what it means. You were a servant to Satan. You don't just follow him. You were a servant to him. Is he not the spirit that works in the disobedient? Is Satan not the spirit that works, that drives the disobedient people? Ladies and gentlemen, you were not only disobedient. You were as good as damned. You can't serve two masters. The Bible teaches that you can't serve two masters. You must serve one. If you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were dead to Yahweh the same way, alike in disobedience. Anybody that is a saint today was a son of disobedience or a daughter of disobedience at one time. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. It says, This is how Yahweh's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of Yahweh, especially the one who does not love his brother. Guys, that's you and me. That's Elijah, that's Moses, that's Paul, that's James, that's Barnabas, that's Peter, all of them. 
every single one of them. No man doeth good and sinneth not. Everybody that sit in this congregation at one time are son, were the sons of Satan, are the daughters of Satan, every single one of us. If you're not of Yahweh, then you are the devil's child. In John chapter 8 and verse 34 through 47, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm going to get you somewhere in a minute, but I, but I want to make a point. So in John chapter 8 and verse 34 through 47, Yeshua is talking with some of the Judahites who believed in him. He tells them, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth he wants them to know is that he's the son of Yahweh. They're ransom for their salvation. If they believe this, they will be free. He's talking spiritually. He's talking eternally. You'll be eternally free if you believe this. But you know what they say? You know what these, these Judites say? They say, we're descendants of Abraham. That's what they tell them. We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that we will become free? They don't even know that they're condemned. They don't even get it. They don't have spiritual eyes. They don't understand. They're dead. They're following Satan. Okay? And so Yeshua tells them, them again, he says, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That means you're the offspring of, of Satan. We're not talking about a physical offspring now. Don't wander off nowhere. We're talking about a spiritual offspring. Anyone who commits a sin is a, sin, is a slave of sin. In other words, you're not a son to the Most High. You're a son of the ruler of disobedience, just like John said. He even tells them, I know you're a descendant of Abraham. Yeshua agrees with him. He said, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. He says, I agree. I know you're the descendant of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I've seen in the presence of the Father, and therefore you do what you have heard from your Father. They're acting in disobedience because of what they've heard. They walk in disobedience because the spirit that filled Abraham was Yahweh's spirit, but the spirit that fills them is Satan's. So Yeshua tells them this, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Do you know what that is? Do you all know what that is? Abraham, Arnold said it a while ago. He, he believed Yahweh. and It was accounted to him as righteousness. Yeshua continues to tell them, but you're trying to kill me and a man who has told you the truth that I heard from Yahweh. Abraham didn't do that. Abraham didn't try to kill me. Abraham believed Yahweh. He trusted Yahweh. You're doing what your father does is what he tells them. He says, you're doing what your father does. See, the spiritual offspring of Yahweh are righteous people. They're not a sinful group. Not the spiritual offspring. The spiritual seed of Yahweh doesn't follow the prince of darkness, but every living soul who has not been birthed by Yahweh serves their master, and their master Satan. One more example, Acts chapter 13 and verse 9 and 10. It says this, it says, Then Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. He stared straight at the sorcerer, and he said, You son of of the devil. Listen here, what else he says about him. This is what classifies him as the son of the devil. He says, he stares at him, straight at the sorcerer, and he says this, you son of the devil, full of deceit and all fraud and enemy of unrighteousness. Won't you ever stop perverting the paths of the Lord? He classified that sorcerer with his sin, with his actions, he, he labeled him. Do you know that Yeshua told Paul the exact same thing on the road to Damascus when he struck him down? The Messiah asked him, he says, Paul, why do you kick against the goats? Why do you persecute the church? He just told, he just told the sorcerer the exact same thing. He says, why do you try to, try to mess up the way of the Lord? Paul was a servant, servant of Satan too. 
just like you, just like me. We all are at one point, you know. Once again, someone who is disobedient and full of unrighteousness is all called the son of the devil. Folks, if we follow the ruler of the atmospheric domain, we are his children and can rightly be called the sons of Satan. It is our unrighteousness that categorizes us as sons of Satan, not some lineage, not some lineage. It's the, it's the fruit that we produce. That's what makes us sons of Satan. Now back to Ephesians verse 3. It says this. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath as the others were also. Paul here includes himself in the group, and he says, so were we like them. So were us who believe now we used to be like them. We were all sinners living among sinners. We were all servants of the master Satan. We carry out the desires of the flesh, and by nature we were children awaiting the wrath of the Almighty. Every one of us, everyone in here, everyone in the Scriptures, all with the exception of one, all with the exception of one, they were all servants of, the, of Satan. Brothers and sisters, we are, or we were, depraved, one or the other. We were lost, destined for a lake of fire. We, we couldn't make it. We were lost, lost without hope. Verse 12 says, in the second chapter of Ephesians right here, verse 12 says that you were without the Messiah, excluded from Israel, foreigners to the covenant, with no hope and without the Almighty in the world. We'll get to that in a later sermon, but I'm just trying to paint a picture here. I would say, you and me, we were lost. Wouldn't you agree? Folks, this is total depravity as finest one of the five points of Calvinism. If you understand Calvinism, I'm not I'm not for necessarily Calvinism. I just believe I agree with the five points of it. I believe in uh, I believe in Yahweh's sovereignty. So uh total depravity is one of them and I believe that every man that's the state that he's in until Yahweh gives him a new heart. It's total depravity. But Yahweh this is verse four. Let's look at verse four. It says, But Yahweh who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Stop right there. Do you remember what verse 1 says? And you. And you who were dead. Verse 4 says, but Yahweh, who was abundant in mercy. You see what you did? You were dead. You see what Yahweh did? He was merciful. We don't have anything. We don't have anything. Notice how helpless you are. That's what we are, helpless. You're dead. Has anybody in here ever tried to have a conversation with a corpse? Have you ever tried that? I hope not. If you have, we need to get you admitted somewhere. And uh, But the answer is no. You wouldn't, you wouldn't try to speak to a dead man. You can't communicate with him. You're not going to get anything out of him. And that's what we were. We were just dead and awaiting judgment. Kind of like a zombie. You know what I mean? Not not that we weren't we're dead physically. We walk around, but we're dead in a spiritual sense. We're dead. We're dead. We're just like a zombie. We walk around. We make the movements. We we go on about daily life. But if somebody walks up and wants to talk to you about the Bible, you can't have a conversation with them. You don't even have a spiritual mind. You're lost. You're lost. You're dead. That's what you had done for yourself. You had worked your way right into condemnation. The efforts that you put forth were that of Cain. You had murdered, lied, cheated, envied, stolen from people. That's what your good works consisted of. That's what you did. That's what you get credit for. 
You can take all the credit and all the wickedness that you had in your life. You can take credit for that. But Yahweh, but Yahweh who is abundant in mercy, because of His, not yours, because of His great love for us, that's what He gets the credit for. Being merciful and loving and kind, that's what He did, not what you did. That's what He did. I want you to notice all the focus. All the focus is on Him and not on us. Verse 5, it says this, Because of His great love for us, He made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. Notice the word alive here. That's what Yahweh made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive. Also, though, compare the word alive to the word dead in verse 1. You might even want to take, I did this, you might want to take and draw a circle around the word alive, draw a circle around the word dead in verse 1, and make the connection. And then draw the circle around and and you in verse 1, and draw a circle around the word but, Yahweh in verse 4 and make the connection right there. You didn't have anything to do with it. Now a minute ago we already determined that we don't talk to corpses in cemeteries, right? However, you can talk to a man that's living. When I say living, I'm talking about spiritual, spiritually alive. The men in verse 1 were alive in the flesh, but spiritually they were dead. They couldn't receive anything from Yahweh because they were dead spiritually. But in verse 5, Yahweh, out of his abundance of mercy, in other words, Yahweh withholding his punishment, that's what abundance of mercy is. He, He withheld what you deserved. He made us alive in Christ, spiritually alive. Now Paul, now Paul can talk to these people. He can edify them. He can teach them the ways of Yahweh, so forth and so on. Have y'all ever tried to have a conversation with somebody that's not spiritually born again? Yeah. I do this pretty often, and I and I go, I'll be whether it be on a job or somewhere else. I, you know, you're trying to always kind of bring up Bible things with Bible people because that's what I like to talk about. It doesn't matter who it is, but I just try to talk to somebody about the Bible. And the conversation, a lot of times, it goes like this. I'll be talking to somebody. I say, well, uh, you know, the Bible gets brought up somehow, and I say, well. Uh, do you read the Bible? Oh, yes, we read the Bible. Yes, me and my husband, we read the Bible. And I think, well, that's cool. You Bible believers? Absolutely, we're Bible believers. We've been going to the church for a long time. We're Bible believers. And I think, well, man, what's your thoughts on uh, Paul getting struck down on the road to Damascus? And they say, uh, is that Old Testament or is that New Testament? And I'm thinking, all right, where are we going with this? I said, I thought you said you went to church. Oh yeah, we go to church. We we've been uh, we went um, December, we went on Christmas, and we went uh, Easter, and then we went on Mother's Day. And I tell you what, I won't never go back to that church again. The coffee just wasn't right, and uh, you know, as much as them money them folks paying that preacher and that church is making, you know, they ought to have some fresh coffee. This is the kind of conversations that I get into. And you, t- you tell somebody, you say, well, I thought you said you went to church. Well, sure, I go to church. I go to church every now and then. Or you think somebody's spiritually knowledgeable or not even spiritually knowledgeable about the Bible, but at least have some insight and at least a care to talk about the Scriptures. And the case is they're few and far between. Even, And I'm not saying somebody has to be educated. Don't, don't take me the wrong way. You don't have to be educated to have a Bible conversation. There's always a teacher and there's always a student. You know what I mean? Most of the time, I'm the student, 
but but you don't have to be educated to talk about the Bible, but you do have to have a desire, you know. And uh, so Paul makes the point in First Corinthians chapter two and verse thirteen through fourteen. He says this: We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the but the neutral the natural man those who are dead in trespasses and sins, he doesn't welcome that which comes from Yahweh's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to know it since it's evaluated spiritually. And I think that's the case a lot of times. If somebody's not been born again, kind of like Nicodemus wasn't. Nicodemus couldn't understand the, the, the heavenly things or the kingdom things or the things of Yahweh. And the reason that he couldn't understand them, he couldn't see the things of heaven, is because he wasn't born again. And when you talk to somebody in a dead state, you might as well be talking to a corpse. Matthew told me a long time ago, I'd, met, I'd witnessed to people, and uh, I would say, man, they just don't get anything. I mean, you, you can't get anywhere with them. And he said, he said, it's like talking to a dead man. They've got to be revived. You always got to give them a new life. You can't, you can't minister to that dead man. That dead man that follows Satan, that's lost in trespasses and sins, all he can produce is, is, is junk. He can't produce anything on his own. He's dead. He's lifeless. A prime example of this is the men in John 8 who kept saying, our father is Abraham. They couldn't understand. They couldn't understand. No matter how, how, how they knew Abraham was their father, but they didn't have any spiritual insight. Their physical father was Abraham, but their spiritual father was the devil, and they were spiritually dead. So now Yahweh has made us alive in Christ because of the love that he had for us. And notice it doesn't say because of the love we have for him. Yahweh's not made us alive in Christ because of the love we have for him doesn't work that way. It was because of the love that he had for us. And then Paul says at the end of verse 5, he says, By grace you are saved. He makes an emphatic statement, By grace you are saved. This is the free, unmerited favor of Yahweh. Nothing you deserve. Free, unmerited favor of Yahweh. If we'd done something to deserve salvation, we couldn't call it grace. We'd say we had, we, that, was, that was what we deserved. We got what we deserved. We worked hard for it. I kept the commandments. I walked the way I was supposed to. No, you didn't do that. So by His favor, not your efforts, He has made us alive in Christ. Just as Yeshua was dead and in the grave, so also were you dead spiritually. Destined for eternal separation from Yahweh, but by His mercy and grace you've been removed from your dead state and made alive. Praise Yahweh. Now, verses 6 and 7 say this. It says, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming age He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness to us in Christ. Verse 6 says, Yahweh raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Meaning what? We're still on here on the earth. I'm here. It's a picture. It's a guarantee. Yahweh hasn't physically placed us in heaven yet. However, He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 in chapter 1 says, He has given us a down payment of our inheritance so that we won't be left alone. See, what Yahweh has promised, He has already done in His mind. Paul says that it's as good as done. 
that's the reason for the physical analogy that Paul gives of Yeshua being raised from the dead. He's basically painting a picture for us that the same power that raised Yeshua from the dead will raise us from the dead. As a matter of fact, you're already there. Not physically, but but here, spiritually, what lives within you, you're already there, you know. He's just talking about the spiritual side of it. If Yahweh can change your spiritual nature and cause you to be who He wants you to be, if He can remove your dead heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can act like His Son in a spiritual sense, then shouldn't it, be, it shouldn't be a problem for Him to raise or resurrect your mortal flesh. It shouldn't be a problem. He's already changed your nature. He can raise your flesh to match your nature. Wake up, folks. Open your eyes. See what it's like to be born again. Can you not look back at, at where you were and see the difference and where you are now? Jerry said yesterday, I'm not sure what happened. I just know that I was changed. Something happened to me. I'm just different. All of a sudden, things start happening. You know? Well, I'm just like Jerry. I'm not sure what happened either. I just know that one day Yahweh hit me like a semi-truck. And ever since then, I've been different. I don't look the same. I don't act the same. I don't talk the same. My mind doesn't comprehend things the same. Behold, all things have been transformed. Made new, if you will. Yours truly is not the same as I was 20 years ago. I'm just not the same. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even think the same. I don't comprehend things the same. If you tell me something... I've got a paradigm that I run everything through. If you if you ask me a question, it goes right here, right through Genesis all the way to Revelation, and I go, uh, hold on, man, let me scan that again. I can't come up with an answer. Or either I've got the answer, and it's based off of something that's found in this Bible. That's my mindset. That's the way I think. When I think about what I'm going to put on in the morning, it goes right through Genesis to Revelation. I think, can I wear that? No. Yahweh says we're not supposed to look like that. I'm not going to look like that. I'm different. When I eat, it goes right through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all that stuff. I say, hey, that's not on Yahweh's menu. Throw it out. That's the way I think. Because, because Yahweh's put something in me that, that, um, that, that Satan don't have any control over. I was dead to him at one time. I lived the way he wanted me to live. I participated in this world the way that the world wanted me to participate in it. And then one day Yahweh said, you're not in there no more. Get out. You belong to me. He's not over you no more. I'm going to seat you in the heavens right here beside Christ, and and you're going to rule over him. You know what I mean? All enemies are under your feet. I believe that I have the same inheritance that my Lord does, and now I'm as good as they're with him. I don't have to live like that. I don't have to believe like that. I'm still here in this world. My flesh is still in this world, and I battle with those spiritual things all the time, every single day, every single day. But my heart don't desire those things. Everything, everything works different. Man, brothers and sisters, when you've been made new, you become sensitive to Yahweh. You have a new reason to live. You can see Yahweh at work. You recognize the brothers or the brotherhood of the saints, I guess. People you would have never had anything to do with, now you share a common bond with. When you open the Scriptures, you can understand it's not just gibberish to you anymore, but it starts to open up. It starts to blossom. It's like a flower. You can understand what's going on. These are the facts for believers. We will walk in His ways. We will love His law. We will be kind to our neighbor. We will keep the Sabbath and we delight in Him. These are the attributes of a born-again saint. You'll love Him. And hey, some people 
are not at the same place. Like Matthew said, we're all in the same school. Some's in kindergarten, some's in the twelfth grade. But there's a growth process, and you know it. You know it when you always made you new. Nobody has to tell you whether or not you always made you new. You know what you desire and what you don't desire. You know who you live for and who you don't live for. I'm not. I'm not to tell Jerry, hey, I just don't believe you got it, brother. I don't believe you got it. You didn't. You 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 just putting on a show. I can't do that for him. You know, he knows what who he lives for. We are raised up with Yeshua and seated in the heavens. Hallelujah. And if we were raised up with him in the heavens, then we've been freed from the master that once ruled our lives. Praise Yahweh. We've been seated above that ruler. We've been bought with a price, brother. We were slaves, and we've been given our freedom. We no longer are slaves to the old master, Satan, but now are a servant to our new master, Yahweh, through his perfect son, Yeshua. We were dead, but now we were made alive. Notice verse 7. It says, He raises us up so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness to us in Christ. Guys, we were delivered from sin by love into life for a purpose. It wasn't in vain. Okay? What's the purpose? So that He may show us His kindness and we might have the immeasurable riches that He has in store for us. We might be able to partake of them. He didn't just raise you up from the dead so you can walk around in the cemetery. That's not the idea. You don't stay there. He raised you from the from your spiritual dead life to make you spiritually alive so that you may enjoy the riches He blessed us with and display them. Display them. We put those out there so that everybody can see. And by doing so, what do we do? We glorify Yahweh every time. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. He says, that's my servant. That's my That's my spiritual seed. That's my servant. And when he makes us new, makes us whole, we act as if he made us. We start to walk in his ways. We start to follow his son. We we do what his son does. We look like his son does, and he says, I'm glorified. That's the mighty one that I serve. That's the mighty king that I serve. He deserves all the glory. Everything I do ought to be for him. I ought to eat for him. I ought to walk for him, live for him. I ought to get up in the morning and raise my hands to him. When I don't have anything else to cheer about, he's Yahweh. It doesn't matter if everything's going right. I don't I don't need something to go good for me to give him glory. He's the king of the universe. Let me give you one more analogy as I close. Everyone's probably familiar with the story of Yeshua raising Lazarus from the dead, I assume. If not, let me tell you a little bit about it. Mary and Martha, who lived in Bethany, had a brother whose name was Lazarus. Mary was the one who washed Yeshua's feet with her hair. Okay, And Yeshua loved all of them. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, he loved all of them. And one day Lazarus got sick. I think he'd come down with a bug or something. And the girl sent word to Yeshua to come and heal him. And Yeshua received the news, but, but he stayed wherever he was for, for a couple more days and he, before he went to go see Lazarus. So when he got there, everyone was in tears because Lazarus was already dead and he, and he was buried. You know, they'd put him in a tomb. And Martha was pretty tore up about it. And she told Yeshua, if you'd only been here, you know, two or three days ago, my brother would still be alive. But Yeshua told her, your brother will rise again. He, he, will, he will be alive. And, and she says, I know that he will, you know, at the resurrection on the last day. I know that he'll, he'll raise up at the resurrection on the last day. But Yeshua says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. That's what she that's what he told her. I am. I am. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? And she says, Yes. That's what that's what her answer was. Yep, I believe it.
So Yeshua says, where is your brother? And she tells him he's in the tomb. So he tells her, he says, hey, open that tomb up, roll the stone away. But she says, he's been dead for four days, and he stinks. Lazarus stinks. Four days old now. He's been buried four days. Yeshua said, didn't I tell you that if you believed you'd see him, you would see Yahweh's glory? So he removed the stone, and he prayed to the Father, and then he shouts at Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. When Lazarus walks out, he's bound by linen strips. His feet are tied together, and his hands are tied together, and his head's covered with linen strips. Do you know what Yeshua says after that? He says, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. i tell you this story so that you can see that when someone is given a new life, it's not to remain dead. He doesn't make you a new creature to walk in your old ways. He's given you a new spirit to walk in a new way, to enjoy the spiritual benefits he's bestowed on you. Loose him and let him go. Walk as if you've been born again. If you've been born again, then live it. Then live it. Brothers and sisters, Yahweh's magnificent. He doesn't require anything from you in order for Him to do His part. Yahweh don't need you to do His part. You have done enough. By all means, you have done enough. You, You have broken all the commandments. You have put yourself in such a sinful state, there is only one person in the whole universe that can get you out of it. All right? You've done enough. He don't need your help. You've already done it. And since you've already done it, you played your part, and He only required that you be a sinner. And we all were. We all were, and we all are. We still are. We still are sinners. Rest assured, we have mastered the task of sinfulness. Yeshua was sent for the sick, and He was sent for the lost, not the well. There weren't any. He was sent for the sick, and he was sent for the lost. Jerry, he was sent for you, he was sent for me. Michael, he was sent for you, and he was sent for me. Everybody that's sick. We had no hope in the world. We were completely depraved and without a chance. There's not one thing, not one thing that you could have done to save yourself. Not one thing. You can't do it. You can't give yourself a new heart because you never desired one. See, it took Yahweh loving you for you ever to desire anything. You didn't desire it. You were born into sin. You can add, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. They they started that trash. But anyway, we're the we're the we're the tail end of it, and we're still getting it. And I'm not so sure that we'd have been any better than they were because they they ate from the tree when they were tempted, and I believe that we would have too. The only thing that happened was Eve beat us to it. So anyway, we're we're sinful humanity, and we are born into that, and there is no no hope for you. You're lost. I'm talking about from a little bitty child. You're lost. The only, the only chance you got is that Yahweh puts within you a heart of flesh and He causes you to love Him. That's the only chance you got. You won't ever pray a prayer and, and ask for forgiveness. You won't ever turn away from your sin and repent. If Yahweh doesn't cause you to do it, you just won't do it. Paul just said in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, and you were dead, a lifeless man, can't make a correction on what's going on in his life. He can't do it. You're dead. You're as good as dead. But Yahweh, but Yahweh being mercy, full of mercy, Yahweh, He took that sinfulness out of you. He gave you that heart that wanted you to wanted you to do what's right. He made you alive and He did it. He did it through His Son. He did it through His Son. 
There's no, there's no hope. There's no hope for any of us without Him. He is, the, he's, the, he's the, the answer to all things. He had grace on you and me because He loved us, not because we loved Him. He didn't say because you love Yahweh, He had mercy on you. He says because Yahweh loved you, He had mercy on you. By grace we were saved through faith in His perfect Son. If Yahweh has shown you mercy and blessed you with a spiritual heart, give Him the glory. Don't assume that it's because you did something or somehow you're worthy of having it. Because I assure, I assure you, you didn't. You didn't have anything to do with it. By grace we're saved and raised up with Yeshua and seated in the heavens so that He might display the measurable riches of His grace and His kindness. And it's all by grace. Yahweh, Father, thank you for the for this day, Father. Thank you for this message, and and uh, Yahweh, I hope that uh, I hope that somebody was edified in here tonight, Father. I don't I don't know the position that people take in here, but I'm just trying to stand on your word and teach what uh, teach what Paul t- taught. And Father, I pray that you would um, let your word go out and not return void, and, and that you'd be honored regardless on of of what takes place. And, yeah, well, you know that I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I just want to be honest with the Scriptures and, and love you and, and teach what you'd have us to teach. And Father, I just give you praise today. I lift up your Son. and, and uh, Father, we just honor you, glorify you. Father, I lift you up, and, and we love you so much. We're so thankful that you loved us when we were in a, a pit of despair and we didn't know how to love you. You loved us first. And Father, we give you the glory for that. We give you the glory so that you might be glorified. And Father, we're thankful for the the blessings that you'll bestow on us for the rest of our life simply because you had mercy on us. Father, such a wonderful gift that we that we there was no way to earn it, no merit for it, Father. We're just thankful. We give you all the praise, all the honor and all the glory. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.